Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. If you were here last week or once in June, you know what we're about to do. It's called Rolling Communal Midrash. And I do want to take a second to thank Chris Estes, who stepped in if you were here last week. He was a pinch hitter of the first order because uh, we had four pastors out of town, including Michael was on a destination wedding in Hawaii. Um, and I had to go sit in for Michael at St. Andrews and Ryan, who was supposed to teach, uh, had 105 temperature and went to the hospital. I mean, he was, it was not good. And so Chris found out on short notice that he was, uh, stepping in and, and, and took over admirably. And we're grateful that he did that for us. And if you get a chance to thank him, please uh, join me in that. But if you're wondering what this is, there's a full explanation in the back um, that you can read yourself to sleep tonight about what Rolling Communal Midrash is. The best thing, as we turn on the lights, because part of this is we need to be able to read and see each other. But the best way that I can describe Rolling Communal Midrash is using the ancient Indian proverb. You're probably familiar with this, about six blind men and an elephant. And they approach the elephant and each of them grabs a different part of the elephant and describes it. And the first blind man grabs the ear of the elephant and says an elephant is like a great a great leaf and the person grabbing the side of the elephant says the elephant is like a huge wall and someone grabs the tail and says an elephant is like a long rope and someone grabs the trunk and says an elephant is like a big snake and someone grabs the tusk and says an elephant's like a sword and the last one grabs the leg and says an elephant's like a tree trunk now which of them was right all of them, but only together, listening to each other, do, can they start to perceive the whole of what an elephant is. And I, that's definitely my experience. There's a lot of times when I will have an experience of God or an experience of the divine that I think nails it. I'll read that scripture. I'll have that retreat experience and I'll grab hold and I'll go, I've, I got it. I've got God figured out. I've got the scripture figured out. I've got my faith figured out. It's like this. And if I build rules on that and I build doctrine and theology on that, it's not that it's wrong. It's my experience. But if I then listen to the voices around me, they may come with a completely different experience and a completely different understanding. And by listening to them and sharing mine, we both start to get a picture of what God is really like. And so I hope that's what we do when we do Rolling Communal Midrash. That's the primary reason. The second reason um, is quite simply we're following our rabbi. This is the way that Jesus would have experienced church himself. The first century synagogue would have looked like this. Someone would have come in and read the Parsha, the daily Torah reading, and then maybe had a few comments on it. And then they would have just talked about it, discussed it, and wrestled with it. And so we're, we're copying Jesus when we do this. And then the third reason is that this is a commercial. Um, we, Ryan and Chris and I do a class discussion, dialogue like this called What is the Bible? We do it every Tuesday here with a rocking group of grandmothers. And, every, and you're welcome to any of these, by the way. And then we do it Wednesday at Haven for Hope. And we are going to start a new uh, session of this, on sun, hopefully on Sunday evenings, when school gets back in session um, probably off campus somewhere, and we want to kind of preview it, and this is the commercial for it. So if you hate it, I'm sorry. 
please come anyway. We're going to try to put it at a great restaurant with great food. Um, but if you love it, then you know you'll have three offerings, a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday afternoon, and a Sunday evening of uh, discussions like this. That being said, I want to also assure you that if you're tensing up right now thinking I'm going to make you talk or make you read, relax. No one has to do anything that they don't want to do. I'm not going to call on you. I promise. We, I will ask for volunteers to read. And if you have something to comment, uh, a question, an argument, a disagreement, you can argue with me. Push back. Really argue with Ryan. Direct all your anger at Ryan. Um, it's perfectly Hebraic to do that. We do ask that you don't argue with each other, uh, at least while using the microphones. You can argue with each other after church till your heart's content. But in here this morning, just try to constrict your arguments to Ryan and I. Um, and if you would, if you share or read, if you're, ha- if you're comfortable, if you'll just say your name. And the reason that we ask you to say your name before you read or share is so that I can associate an actual person with what's being said. Um, if Amy, sorry, I'm going to pick on Amy. I'm not calling on you, though. If, if Amy says something that I don't agree with, if she comes to the elephant and, and tells me a different experience of it, and I hate what she has to say, like it challenges my view, and I don't know her name, it's easy for me to turn her into that bad idea and dismiss her. But if I know her, then I've got to wrestle with it because she's a person and she's a human and she matters. And now I kind of have to wrestle with this idea. So that's why we do that because everyone in here is a beloved daughter or son of God. And we need to know each other and we also need to be seeing each other for people and not ideas. Fair enough? Okay. Who will start us off by reading? Ryan's got a mic and I got a mic. Okay. Oh, and by the way, Kevin's reminding me. Does anybody need a copy of the Midrash document? Anybody doesn't have one? We have more? We're all covered? Okay. Who wants to read first? Anybody? Stacy will read. And then Amy will read after that. Stacy, if you'll just read the scripture, please. The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. Some people say, quite rightly, that idols have no actual existence, that there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our one God, that everything comes from him. In strict logic, then, nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to an idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that, and you know that, but knowing isn't everything. If it becomes everything, some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothings. Real knowledge isn't that insensitive. God doesn't grade us on our diet. We're neither commended when we clean our plate nor reprimanded when we just can't stomach it. But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idol-tainted meals if there's a chance it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. Thank you. Anything to add? The only thing I would add is I don't know what version this is, but I love it. I don't know. It seems like, um, I don't know, just the wording of it is 
is it the Midrash version? <laughs> I really message. like whatever it is. It's the message. It's the message. Okay. Eugene Peterson. Yeah. yeah, that's my only comment. I like the version. It is good stuff. And it's, uh, it's slightly truncated, by the way. It's much longer if we read the whole thing. Any other comments at this point about the scripture before Amy graciously reads? Okay, go ahead, Amy. Whenever you feel like it. If you, if you go too long, I'll, I'll stop you. Oh, I was wrong when I handed you the mic, not on. There you go. I've been wrong before. In fact, I've been wrong more than once. If you really twist my arm, I might admit to you that I have been wrong more times than I can account. In fact, of all the times I thought I had something figured out, I have been wrong more times than I have been right. It would be fair to say that I am an expert in being wrong, but maybe not. I might be wrong about that. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his friends in Corinth who think they have lots of things figured out. He is writing to members of this new fledgling community of faith who think they have a grasp on a number of issues. The problem is that they, too, are wrong. Wrong can be a heavy word, a word with baggage. Being told that we are wrong can make us feel bad, as though we are stupid for not knowing better. Being told that we are wrong can also cause us to dig in and argue, blocking out new information that seems to challenge our current viewpoint. Sometimes, when we are confronted with the reality that we might be wrong, we set our minds to coming up with all the reasons we are right. I've done that. I've been that kind of wrong. Thank you. Anything to add? Well, it's as if I was supposed to read that. (laughs) It's like my life on paper. So it's a little um, hard to wrestle with because I'm one that quickly thinks I'm right about many things. I'm a teacher, and so I'm brought up with things like that a lot. And just um, I've come to realize that listening to others is really powerful. Mm. And so I've been trying to quiet myself more and listen better so that I'm open to other ideas besides the ones that quickly come to mind for me that seem right because they're my ideas. But, um, yeah, I've learned a lot recently about that. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Who, any other comments or questions at this point? Anybody want to continue reading? The rule is if no one volunteers, you get Ryan. Okay. It's anonymous at this point. Let's just let it be anonymous, all right? It will be from Dan right now. <laughs> when I was in my senior year of college, I was asked to co-lead a freshman care group. Bible study to help incoming freshmen adjust to life in college. For two semesters, I met with the same group of freshmen every week. At the end of the year, our church leaders suggested that we take our freshman care group out to a celebratory dinner. So we took our freshmen out to eat. At that dinner, I ordered a beer with my fajitas. It is important here to concede that the church had asked me to lead the freshman care group frowned upon drinking alcohol. It wasn't just an opinion. It was part of their doctrine. I knew that. But I ordered the beer anyway. I didn't forget. I didn't have a momentary lapse. I made a decision based on my knowledge and conscience. I determined that since I was of legal drinking age, and I was not a member of that church or doctrine that prohibited drinking, and that I had spent a year volunteering with these freshmen, I deserved that beer. What would the harm be? I didn't even believe in that rule. The tradition and in home in which I had been raised did not prohibit having beer with your fajitas. And so surrounded by freshmen, I had my beer. 
I determined that if people had a problem with it, that was their own problem and not mine. Let me stop you there. Dan, I can't believe you did that. Jeez. Okay, it wasn't Dan. It was me. So, Allison, I, it's, this, is, this is my uh, glorious mess up that we're going to be reading about this morning. Anything to add, though? I mean, it's, it's what's mentioned here before. I mean, you, it's just too common of a scenario. I think it's just very self-reflective. I mean, the first portion of this, I thought you were standing in my living room last night because I am that type of person. I am a, I enjoy a good argument. I enjoy that, but I don't like to admit fault or being wrong. And very often I'm in this where it's a conscious decision to go against what the norm is, you know? So, thank you. Absolutely. Anybody else? Questions? Jordan, you you might. That's your side. Hello, I'm Jordan. Hey, Jordan. Hello. Um, I was thinking, because we read this the first service, and the whole time I was like, Daryl. And then this time, and I was like, yeah, he was wrong. But this time I was thinking about, okay, the truth is, is there was a good part of your heart that did that. It wasn't all like from a... Like, I'm going to show them. Part of it was probably you being older than them and wanting to challenge them. You know what I mean? Like, you wanted to challenge their doctrine, which I think sometimes is okay. Maybe not in the setting, but there's a part of you that maybe thought, we don't have to agree with everything this says. And so I'm going to show them that I can be a leader of Jesus and a group of people and still drink a beer, and I'm not a bad person. Thank you. Jordan thinks a lot. I still think you're a bad person. Yeah, Jordan thinks a lot more of me than, than I deserve. But um, we'll we'll read and discover more of my motivations. But I completely love her uh, perspective there. Are you wanting to read? Okay. Is there any other comments before we read on? Please. Hello, this is Scott, hey, and Scott. Uh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that I I think that when you have something that is legally okay. Yeah. And morally not, or yeah. you know, or whatever it comes down to me, it puts the 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 antithesis on the person to understand and grapple with that at that time. Yeah. Whether you're being honestly led by a spirit, or whether you're being justified legally, our society is going through a number of these kind of issues right now. Yes. What may be legal and what may be not, what may be morally right or what may be spiritually wrong. Yeah. All of that is going on in our society right now, and I think it's 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 Thank you for bringing this yeah. and sharing yeah. your, your past and giving us an... an oh, it's going to get even worse, Scott. Oh, Thank no, you. I've read it. No. I've read it. Okay. Thank you. That's a great insight. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Valerie. Hey, Valerie. I, I have a comment. When I'm hearing this story, what I hear is you choosing to be authentic. <laughs> Okay. I am not, I'm serious. I'm with you. That you'd been with this group for a year and you decided to be yourself and that's who you are. That's how I read it. I I continue to appreciate y'all's kindness for me. This is, yeah, and I think you're right. We're going to, we're going to read some more and find out there was definitely some authenticity going on, but perhaps also a little bit of. Rebellion, little little uh, self righteousness, but I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. Okay, Abby's gonna is Abby gonna read? All right, go ahead. Okay, um, 
Talk about a surreal moment having your daughter read about your beer drinking. In church. Here we go. At this point in the story. Okay. At this point in the story, it should come as no surprise that someone reported my beer to the church leadership. (laughs) The following Sunday evening, all the freshman care group leaders were called into a meeting with the church leadership to to discuss my infraction. In a strange twist, the leaders did not elect to talk to me one-on-one or name me as the perpetrator. My name was not mentioned. Instead, the beer drinking was referenced generically Generically. and all of the leaders received instruction on why that rule exists and encouraged to ask questions if we didn't understand. Do I keep going? Please. Okay. I was pretty ticked. (laughs) I thought it was ridiculous that a meeting had to be held. I was embarrassed that my fellow leaders were being made to sit through a meeting for something I did. And I wasn't too thrilled at the idea that someone had decided to tattle on me rather than talking to me about it. I sat there being told I was wrong. Can you, and can you guess what I decided to do? Like, keep going? Okay. If you think I received the new information being offered by my leaders and came to a new level of understanding, let me first thank you for thinking so highly of me. And then quickly point out that you are wrong. I sat there, mentally digging in my heels, arguing in my mind with every word that was said. I knew that, every, that everyone else was wrong. A little bit more. Okay. They were wrong to ask me not to have beer with my fajitas. They were wrong to ask me about alcohol altogether. They were wrong to ask me to follow a religious rule that was not, on, that was not my own. They were wrong to tattle on me rather than talking to me. They were wrong to hold a meeting with all the care group leaders instead of just me. They were just all so wrong. Thank you. Anything to add, Abby? All right. Anybody else? Questions, thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Hi, my name is Janice. Um, they should have talked with you. I, I agree with that one. Um, when you have somebody that you think is off track, you honor them by speaking with them because, in a way, um, if, if you go around and do it backwards, it's sort of like, it's almost like gossip. Mm. I, I just think, um, I think you honor a friendship or a leadership position uh, by, you know, like if David got up and gave a sermon I didn't agree with, then I think I ought to say, you know, David, this one part I didn't agree with. And how did you really come to that conclusion? Or, you know, I, I just think you honor the relationship by talking directly with the person. So that part I agree with you. Thank you. No, that's a great point. Um, it was a point we did. Uh, come and she's got you, Ted. Um, I, I got to do this midrash at St. Andrew's last week, and um, a woman there graciously raised the, the very same point um, that 
I was right to feel that way. Like, why aren't you talking to me? Why have you humiliated me in front of all my leaders? Because everybody in the room knew it was me. I mean, it wasn't like they, they didn't, have, none of them had beer. They, they're all like, oh, it must have been Daryl. They, they all knew. So that part, they, this woman said, you're right to have felt that that was wrong. And then she was very kind, so I don't want you to worry about this part because she was dead on right. She followed that by saying, but you started it. Because I did. I had a problem with the rule, and I didn't go talk to them. Just like you just said, you'd go talk to David. I didn't agree with the rule. I didn't agree with the doctrine. And rather than going and talking to them about it and asking why the rule and all that, I just broke the rule. And so I didn't talk first, and then they didn't talk in response, and it just gets uglier. We'll see how ugly it gets. Who, Ted? I just wanted to say my name's Ted. Uh, I guess I'm really convicted right now. I went the same thing. I, two things, Boy Scout camp and the book of Exodus. Uh, in Exodus, they're coming out of exile, and they're in the wilderness, and what happens? God gives them, what's it, like 800 rules to follow? 613, but it and, feels like uh, 800. And what happens when they don't? They starve, they die, they're enslaved, and Moses twice lays down and says, oh, you stiff-necked people, and intercedes to God, so he wants to kill them. Um, and what happens? He goes to the mountain, and uh, they break the rules, build the golden calf. He's, well, he's gone 12 days, and so rules are there for a reason, and bad things can happen. And this rebellion... I was at Boy Scout camp last week, and it was brutal. <laughs> you can see my son doesn't have zits or ant bites on his face. We'll, we'll leave it at that. And uh, 102 degrees, got the chili pepper award. But there were lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. And I thought, God, these are lame. And I remember thinking, what? But as I didn't want these because... These the words, the uh, the ones that are vulnerable. What if they see me bagging these rules? That's not the way to be. A buddy system. How are they going to get lost going to the shower? Really? So uh, I wanted to make sure that they saw us trying to follow the rules just because it's important. What if we're in Philmont and not in Bastrop, Texas, and somebody wanders off? Uh, what if we don't clean the campsite and a bear comes in, et cetera, et cetera? So I really tried to to get beyond that, but it was me saying, I'm not doing that. That's horrible. And yeah. th- instead, you know, put your class group A's on, get to that meeting, get there. We're going to go to the flag ceremony, and it was important that we did that. And that I showed them as a good example in my life. <laughs> and I tried to do that, but I really had this exact same feeling. Yeah. At first, I'm not doing horrible. No way. I'm going to sit yeah. here and, you know, chill. So anyway, this really comes home to me right now. I'm glad, I'm glad I did or tried to anyway. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. That's awesome. Great example. Please. This is Dan again. Um, so the one part that really struck me as we're reading through this part is the just the word me. There's so much of it, and it's so readily apparent that it's there's not another perspective inside. It's just my own and how it impacts me, you know, which I think is a very natural response of any yeah. confrontation. Well, Dan, since this was your story to begin with. Why were you being so selfish? No. Yeah, no, that's, that's great insight. Absolutely. That's where we're going. Who would like to read next? Because we will, David, read for us, please. Um, hi there. My name is da- <clears throat> never heard my voice on a speaker. It's great. Um, my name is David, and um, I would like, actually, um, here, I need to fill in the part for our friend Chris Estes. Um, 
because I belong to the same club, anonymous club that Chris Estes belongs to, and I have for the last ten and a half years, thankfully. Um, all of this part, uh, it, it has bearing for, for me, and I'll explain this later. Okay. I wish that I could tell you that what the leaders had said in that meeting, what their thoughts were about alcohol, or why they didn't want me to have a beer in front of my freshmen, but I have no idea what they said. As soon as I recognized that my behavior and my beliefs were being called into question, my walls went up and no information got in. Even after I had graduated, my heels stayed just as dug in as they were the night of the meeting. I could tell the story of the whole experience to my friends later and easily tap into a reservoir of anger and bitterness. I could really get going about how stupid that about how stupid that church was and how wrong these leaders had been. Many years later, my friend Chris was explaining to someone else that the reason he always introduced himself as an alcoholic in AA meetings was not to shame himself or to perform an act of contrition but to acknowledge that there were others on the path behind him that might be trying to learn from his experience and follow his example to sobriety. It was a statement of solidarity. Proclaiming himself as an alcoholic was a way of saying to the ones behind him on the path, me too, I've been, I've been where you are, we are alike. All at once... All at once it struck me that old perspective I had been wrong that old perspective I had about being wronged over having a beer with my fajitas rose up and then melted away. I realized I had missed it. I had been so obsessed with taking care of me, of standing up to the rules I believed to be oppressive, that I had that I hadn't even considered anyone else. A free meal here and there isn't worth isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idle tainted meals if there's a chance it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. First Corinthians eight thirteen. I'll leave it at this. But this was my exact point that I haven't had a vodka tonic for over ten and a half years, or a nice glass of, um, of uh, Barolo, Barolo wine or Amarone with a with veal salsa I haven't had anything like this for years, and I can go to a fine Italian restaurant. I can go to a pizza parlor or a Paloma Blanca and not. You know, it's second nature for me. I can go and I don't have, I don't have a, a desire. I don't have a need or want to have a beer with my fajitas. But the issue is, if I'm taking him with me, he might have an issue. He might have a problem. He might be on the edge. And if if this person is sitting there with me. And sees everyone else eating casually, eating, fun, you know, having fun. And for him, 
it's temptation. Yeah. And it's just as much my part to be a leader for the next person because I know Dan's got an issue. And <laughs> taking a lot of abuse today, man. Sorry about that. And it's my point as a leader to carry that on. And then also to show that life gets better. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, David. Who will read next? Anyone? Y'all want to hear from the lovely Ryan Jacobson for a little bit? All right, let's have a little Ryan. (laughs) Here's another one of those words that can trip us up. Weak. What Paul actually refers to in this passage is not weakness like we normally think of it. Paul actually references weak consciences. And believe it or not, he is not trying to insult anyone. He is simply pointing out that each person has a conscience or a way of seeing and interpreting the world. That conscience is developed through experience, and it is what it is. There is no right or wrong about it. When Paul writes of people in their weak conscience, he is referring to those experience to those whose experience causes them to see and understand the world in a certain way. Their conscience is telling them that eating meat sacrificed to idols is a bad idea. Paul's knowledge tells him that is not the case. But rather than using his knowledge to correct them and try to make their conscience like his conscience, Paul instructs the Corinthians to say, Me too. I've been where you are. We are alike. One thing we know about Paul is that he was intimately familiar with the tradition of rabbis teachers, and Talmud, students. The rabbinic tradition is not just about passing on knowledge. It is about becoming the rabbi you follow, to be just like your rabbi. The goal was not to know what they knew, but to be who they were, to be what they were. Paul had a rabbi whom he followed around and emulated, and later in his life, Paul became a rabbi. He had people who followed him and tried to become like him. Some of those people were in a care group in Corinth. Paul knows they were watching and trying to become like him. Paul doesn't dig in his heels on either side of the idol meat issue. He doesn't invite them to follow the rules blindly and abstain from eating idol meat, nor does he encourage them to disregard the rules as silly and pig out. Instead, Paul suggests that there is something more important than knowing the rules, that there is something more important than being on the right side of the meat or the beer issue. What I should have known, what took me years to actually learn, was that my freshmen were watching me. My mistake was not that I consumed something impure or unholy. It was that I did it only considering me. I acted like I was alone on the path and no one was following after me. All of the things that I thought about when making my decision to have that beer were about me. All the things I argued and complained about years after the fallout were all about my conscience. No one else, just me. Paul's message to his freshman care group in Corinth is that the rules and their knowledge of them should point them beyond themselves. The way of Jesus is so much bigger than who is right and who is wrong. Knowledge should point them to love, a love that considers the conscience of others, a love that identifies, relates, and says, me too. It is patient. It is kind. It is actively considering others and placing their highest good before our own. If knowledge doesn't lead to that kind of love, what good is it anyway? Anything to add? No. Questions? Anything to add to that? Thoughts? Arguments? Concern for my mortal soul? <laughs> Nothing? Yes. Just a real quick. Who yes. 
real quick thought. Darrell, what if you had ordered that beer and sat it on the deck, on, sat on the table in front of you and yeah. said, let's talk about why I can or cannot drink this beer? That's it, isn't it? Yeah. Let, that, let them see you struggle. Or let them have that insight to you. Yeah. Let them understand that that challenge is in front of them each and every day that they walk as a, as a fresh ending their freshman year and going forward and, and, and tell them about what processes are going through your mind. I think it was it would have been a very interesting conversation had you discussed Man. that. What a, I know. There, there's Amen. your conversation. Amen. I mean, no, thank you, Scott. That's, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. That's one of the things I regret. There was an awesome opportunity for me to talk to my leaders first and then an awesome opportunity for me to talk to my freshmen, and I did neither. I just got mad for 20 years. Go ahead, Joni. Um, when the scripture was for, hi, I'm Joni. Uh, when the scripture was first read, it just took me straight back to junior high and high school in my Baptist church, which they used the scripture to point out why it was wrong to dance. <laughs> Concern for your mortal soul. Yeah. Well, right. you know why you shouldn't dance because you could influence somebody else. They could stumble. And so all of this is just bringing all those old memories up. And like now, like when I'm at a wedding or something and I try and dance, I'm like, I tell everybody, well, I'm a recovering Baptist. You know, I can't dance because I'm a recovering Baptist. You know, and it's the same thing. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm still harboring a little bitterness about it. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. Ben, right there. Yeah, bitterness was a big problem for me. Um, it took a long time, like it said in the document, I didn't get over this. I didn't come to this wisdom quickly. It took about 20 years, and then that, that light bolt moment with Chris saying that and me realizing, man, I have been mad at a denomination, at a church, and at a group of leaders for 20 years. And any time this topic, this denomination, that church, those people come up, I can instantly get angry and tell you all the reasons that they were wrong. And how they were terrible to me and how they'd mistreated me. And nothing good was happening. Like Scott said, I wasn't talking to them. I wasn't, they weren't talking to me. I wasn't talking to my freshmen. It was all just locked up and locked away. Ben. Uh, just real quick. Uh, um, I think it's just interesting to go back to... Um, sorry, I was listening and I thought you were was good. I totally forgot what I was going to say. But... Um, Sorry. There, there, it was something kind of Paul's MO is essentially what happened to you, mm-hmm. right? But it works better. Um, when I'm smarter. Smarter. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's what it was. It was my question of um, does Paul have an intimate relationship with Corinth? We have to assume that there's a bunch of Daryls that are doing all these things and that there's been some tattling going on, right? Why do y'all laugh at that? I don't understand. <laughs> Well, I mean, but in, in the letter you don't have, you know, uh, for this part, there's, there's not a name drop to, like, Larry. But we have to think that in this moment, as this letter's being read in Corinth, everybody knows it's Larry, right? Yeah. And so does he have a relationship yes. to a degree that, that that love is not just – it's not just a letter that goes out and, you know, speaking very generically, that, that they believe in, you know, Great question. relationship. Great question, and I like to make this up. Any, make, not make this up. I like to bring this point up anytime we talk about Paul's letters. In every instance, when Paul is writing a letter like this, the answer is a yes. He is not sitting down 
Sorry, it just takes us down a weird rabbit trail right here at the end. But he is not sitting down going, I'm going to write the Bible now. He's not sitting down writing scripture. He is sitting down and writing an email to people that he knows about a situation that he knows is going on in the church that he helped start. So he had been to Corinth. He had helped that community start. And now he's somewhere else and he's writing a letter to the people he knows there because he's heard what they're wrestling with. And so, yeah, it is always an intimate conversation between Paul and a flock of people that he is raising up or has helped raise up. Every time we read one of Paul's letters, that is the case. But I do think there were probably a lot of Daryls running around ordering beer with their fajitas in Corinth. Any other thoughts, questions? Yes. Hello, I'm Kristen. I'm not sure if my comment is as related to the scripture as it is to your situation, but I feel like as kind of a generation gap of older than some of our younger folk and not as older and wiser yet, I have learned that, especially in a day and age and social media and such, there's a lot of um, disrespect for authority and this selfish of that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. I'm going to post it everywhere and I'm going to change things. Things need to be changed. Rules need to be changed. I was in a situation where, well, I grew up Catholic in the Roman Catholic Church, went to Catholic school, even went to Catholic college as it just turned out that way. And um, I saw something recently about my Catholic high school and something that somebody did to challenge um, an event. And without going into detail, then one of my former classmates who's kind of in uh, social media, like a higher, you know, very visual person, maybe used her stature to say how wrong our school was and nobody should give any money and everything. And, well, maybe I agreed with the student. That's not the doctrine of the school or the church. And their parents pay a lot of money every month to go to this school. They're making a decision to belong to the school and the values and... A conversation with um, the authority of the school before the event should have happened, first of all. And they would have been told, no, they can't do whatever it is they tried to do. And just to say, I'm right, and have a disrespect for the authority is, is wrong. We can have our own views. We can have our own values. That doesn't mean we have to challenge them in, in the public. And... Um, I, I see where you are coming from, but you n- knew yeah, what the rules me. were. And I, I think that for a, um, I think that for maybe some knowledge to spread among the younger people, when you join an office, a business, um, a hospital system, whatever it is, you have to go by those rules. Like we're talking about legal versus, you know, right or wrong. Yeah. You, you, there are sometimes in life you just have to follow the rules. Yeah. And um, I, that's just kind of what I was, um, I was thinking more like respect. And Brilliant. right now we have a lot of disrespect in our world. Absolutely. Thank you, Kristen. Yes, ma'am. I think this, uh, I'm Janice. I think that uh, this also, uh, raises a good question about uh, with uh, young people 
it's not only important to have rules, but it is important to have conversations so they develop a conscience. Mm. Because it is important to follow rules, but it is important that you use that muscle constantly so that you develop a conscience. Yeah. And then that makes your decision-making better. Because yeah. when you go out in the real world, it's different. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, two thoughts. If there's not, is there anything else? Two thoughts to kind of play off what Janice and Kristen said and wrap us up this morning. One is that what Kristen brought up. We all know this. The office of a prophet is not one that stands outside the system and throws rocks. That's easy. And it's never well received. Anyone that's ever stood outside of something that you've loved, your family, your school, your church, your team, whatever, and thrown rocks at it, I doubt that you have picked those rocks up and go, hmm, let me think about that. That may have a good point. That's not what happens. So the office of prophet is a position of love, and it takes place from the inside. We have to be in the system. We have to be obeying the rules and understand them in order to challenge them. That is what a prophet does. And the prophet doesn't do it to tear it down like I did. They do it because they love and they want something more. I invite the team back up. No, they're waving me off. Are we waving off? Okay, they're giving me the no, Daryl. Wrap it up. I'll, I mean, one other thing, and then I'll benedict us, and we'll get out of here. We now live amongst 35,000-plus Protestant denominations. 35,000-plus Protestant Christian denominations. Largely because we have done what I did in this story. We've had a problem with the rule, or the way they baptize, or the way they do communion, or the way they interpret a certain scripture, and rather than talking to them about it, I say, well, Amy and I don't agree on baptism, so I'm going to start the first church at Daryl, and we're going to baptize this way, and Amy and her crazy people can go baptize that way. And we've done this 35,000 plus times to what is supposed to be the body of Christ. Can God redeem it? Of course he can. Is there a problem with diverse expressions of our faith? Of course not. But we do have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with how many of those divisions have been over diversity and different expressions, and how many of them have been over just not being able to agree and dialogue about the rules. Anything else? Any questions, thoughts to wrap up? I'll offer this prayer, and let's pray together. God, we bless you and we thank you. We've had an opportunity to engage your story this morning and to hear from each other. Bless you that we've been given an opportunity to share a little bit of our stories, and we thank you that you have given us a bigger perspective. We ask that as we leave here, that you will help us to be people that can go to the world and say, Me too. I've been where you are. We are alike. And show them the love that we have been shown. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Amen.